just a reminder, here at That's So Chronic, we are dedicated to sharing personal stories. We are not advocating any type of treatment, therapy, procedure or intervention. Everyone is unique, so please seek professional medical advice before making any decisions for yourself or for others. Welcome to That's So Chronic, the podcast where I, Jess Bryan, interview some incredible people from around the world that are thriving and sometimes only just surviving with chronic illnesses, life-changing injuries and potentially disastrous diagnoses. On today's episode, I sat down with Rachel, who kindly let me in to record this episode at her kitchen table. Rachel was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis back in 2008, and since then she has been on a variety of treatments, including the big one, AHSCT, the stem cell transplant, which she went to Singapore in 2017 to receive. We chat briefly about her diagnosis and what followed, but then she gets into all of the juicy stuff about the transplant, from deciding to go, to the procedure itself, to the recovery after, and everything in between. She also answers some of your questions that you sent in on Instagram. It was such a treat to interview Rachel. We became friends when we met in the hospital, and I haven't seen her since 2017. Obviously, a lot has happened since then, so it was great to catch up with her. I really enjoyed this episode, and I hope you do too. Welcome to That's So Chronic. We met in 2015 in the Wellington City Hospital. Do you remember meeting me? Yes. Do you? Yeah. Because we... We'd started, like our little group had been going for about maybe three months before you joined, yeah. I think. And um, yeah, it's a, a new person and we all were aware that what it was like the first time. And so we all just wanted to make sure that you were happy enough and your mum was there and I yeah. don't know, sorry. <laughs> yeah. I felt, I feel like I was such a baby back then. Like I feel like I've grown so much since you first met me. I remember thinking you were so cool <laughs> and you mentioned in one treatment that after a treatment, you go and get a treat. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, because I get a pizza after yeah. every infusion now, yeah. and I think that's where that came from. So thank you. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad <laughs> you've taken that on. That's brilliant. We were both getting infusions for Tysabri, mm-hmm. natalizumab, and we'll, we'll go back to treatments definitely, because I think everybody listening, that's what we're here for today. Yeah. I'd love to know what your definition of MS, multiple sclerosis, is? Um, the immune system, and you guys, I'm sure, all know this, but, you know, the immune system misfiring, essentially, and attacking healthy cells. So, in this case, um, the myelin sheath around nerve cells, essentially, and the, uh, the attacks then heal, and that's heal mm. um, with proteins. Marks. Yeah, proteins. <laughs> it's... Um, the healing creates scars and that interrupts the nerve flow, essentially. And there are sometimes, I don't know, and then there's other point that, you know, maybe it doesn't heal and so it's actually just exposed nerve. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> you know, as we know. So it's essentially the body's inappropriate response, the immune system. And for me, oh, it um, affects, mainly affects my walking. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, as I'm sure lots of other MSs or most sexiest, um, um, would attest that, you know, it, it's different for everybody, I yeah. think. Yeah. When were you diagnosed? Well, what year were you diagnosed? I was diagnosed in 2008 um, and I was 23. Were you at uni? Then? I was at uni, yeah. Amazing. Um, fourth year. In Dunedin? Yeah. What were you studying? Law. That's full on. Yes. And then <laughs> so, be diagnosed with MS. Yeah, and we could also say that possibly it was um, contributed by the particularly full on year. Yeah. So. And was diagnosis the beginning for you or had you noticed things for quite a while? No, it was definitely the beginning. So it was really kind of a swift onset for me. So I think the first relapse I felt was basically earlier that year. I think there was something that wasn't very obvious when I was on holiday, um, but definitely my first one was March. It was just numbness in my leg yeah. was all of a sudden. And then so people weren't sure. Yeah, the doctor was like, oh, don't know, doesn't matter. But I was referred to like, outpatient, outpatient neurology, but I didn't get an appointment until... September or something and by that point um it had kind of resolved itself and so that doctor said to me oh you know something that we we do need to tell you and we think about someone your age when we think about MS and I was like okay whatever then he was like oh but it doesn't seem like clinically 
even though I'd actually said to that doctor in that appointment, oh, but I've also had these issues with my eyes. Oh. And so I'm just like, how now in hindsight, I'm like, how is it not looking clinical? But anyway, that's fine. Yeah. People, I don't know, see things differently, I suppose. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, so, but it was pretty swift for me. So, and then I was diagnosed in November, so. And how was the diagnosis process? Did you have to get a lumbar puncture, MRIs? I didn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, um, it was after a relapse when I was walking back from the pub after my final exam. Yep. And I just started noticing weakness and started limping a bit. And so wow. I was like, okay. Then I saw my GP and then they admitted me to the hospital, got an MRI um, a day or so after, and it was pretty conclusive for them. Yeah. Wow. Mm. And so they gave me an option of a lumbar puncture. And they're like, oh, I think, you know, the MRI is pretty conclusive though. And I was like, so it's up to you. And I was like, you know, I'm okay. Yeah. No, I I'm understand fine. that. Yeah. I don't need a lumbar puncture. Yeah. yeah. Just leave my spine, yeah. spinal fluid alone. Let's just, leave it. Let's just go with what seems conclusive, shall we? Amazing. Yeah. And then, because we were both getting Ty Sabri yeah. in 2015 when we met. Yeah. Was that your first type of disease dmt disease modifying <laughs> therapy <laughs> as they call it in the biz yeah um no not at all so in, in new zealand being diagnosed in 2008 um there nowadays there are much better treatments available than were available then um so initially i started on avonex which is an interferon mm-hmm. and that's a once weekly intramuscular injection which is pretty full of the needles you know as you imagine into the muscle um, but just once a week. The next day after um, injecting in the, the night before, I'd be kind of you know, flowy and tired and stuff, but it's just once a week, so it was okay. And I did pretty well on that one um, for a couple of years, actually a number of years, um, until 2012 when I kind of had had a couple more relapses than I was used to. So I was, like I say, I was doing well. And so I was like, hmm, maybe it's not working as well anymore. So maybe let's try Capaxone, which is, I don't know the official name of that, but um, yeah. it starts with G and then A, unless you've got that. No, I don't have no. it written down. Yeah, it's Capaxone anyway. So that's just a, a once a day um, subcutaneous injection, which doesn't, well, not for me at least, it didn't have any side effects. Um, could be painful to inject every now and then, but it was... Um, and that was every day? Every day. And absolutely useless for me. It was just, I might as well be injecting water. Like it was, Wow. it was, that was a really fraught year. Um, the year that I was doing that, it was, yeah, it, not good. I was relapsing all it's the time. It's interesting because Avonex is what, Avonex? Avonex. That yeah. you started with. Mm. I've got some, I've done some research on these <laughs> treatments. And actually Avonex is an interferon mm. which operates... Because your body makes its own interferons, which is a protein. And then this one that you were injecting is a man-made one that helps dampen inflammation. Mm -hmm. And then with Capaxone, that is actually working as it's a synthetic compound made up of four amino acids that are found in myelin. So it's actually working as a decoy, attracting the immune system to that. That's the word. Yeah, decoy is the word, right? So the, the body would attack the yeah, the protein, right, as opposed to the actual Yeah, month. so but it's really like, working. They're, they're two very different yeah, processes. Yeah, no, it didn't work. No, wow. it didn't work at all for me. Um, anyway, th- that's what it is. So And were you having more relapses? Yes, yeah. basically every six weeks. It was, yeah, it was not good. And, yeah, no, not good, but there was a lot going on. So I was working at that point. And it was affecting your legs in the beginning. Was it then always in the legs or was it moving... Could you notice things happening in other areas, like almost, eyes? Or? Almost always my legs, almost exclusively. Like like most people, like things like um, urgency with needing to pee and yeah. that sort of stuff is pretty common with MS. And, but not really, my, I know, basically exclusively the walking. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that wasn't good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, again, in September 2013, I... Then went back to an interferon, so I went to betaferon, which is, I think it's every second day, I think. Okay. Second three day, I think. Um, and subcutaneous injection again, and I don't know, similar sort of side effects that to Avanese would, would make sense. Um, but, you know, probably probably was better than Faxone, but yeah. kind of by that point, a lot of damage had been done the year before. 
So I was almost harder to tell. And so at that point, I was just kind of gagging to get to Toast Arbery. Yeah. And it was just uh, bought in New Zealand. It was funded, I think, end of 2014. Yeah, November 2014. Yeah. So, so my, my neurologist was um, looking to make special applications for me. But because I think Pharmac knew that Pharmac being the a drug buying company, they weren't looking at it, they knew it was on the way. So yeah. anyway, so it was once it was... Available for everyone, it became available for me. Yeah, yeah. and then Tysabri Natalizumab mm. works in an even different way. Yeah, of that's the drug that I'm on at the moment, and it works as it essentially just puts a barrier around the brain to mm. stop the immune system getting in. Mm-hmm. Is that what you think it is? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. yeah. But that's where the risk comes with Tysabri as well, yes. though, right? It's, yeah. Um, if you get any sort of viral infection or whatever that that does affect the brain, your immune system can't. Get to the yeah, brain it's not to in there it. to start yeah. fighting it. So that's where the risk, and we know this, I guess. So. <laughs> and then you're on Tysabri mm-hmm. and introducing HSCT, yeah. stem cell. Now, forgive my pronunciation, but hematopoietic mm-hmm. stem cell <laughs> transplantation. Now, yeah. I have a definition of it, mm-hmm. which is actually in your words from oh. your blog. Yeah. <laughs> so. At a basic level, HSCT involves suppressing the immune system with chemotherapy and transplanting the patient's own stem cells that were extracted before the chemo to assist in the immune system's reboot. The idea as a treatment for MS is that it resets the patient's immune system so that it stops behaving inappropriately and attacking the person's body. Hmm. And I love that. <laughs> I love the idea of my immune system behaving inappropriately Naughty and needing like a stern <laughs> telling off <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> and you don't get more stern than chemotherapy Absolutely. to tell it off do you that's true so what were your thoughts about it when did you even know that this was a thing so I heard about it as a thing probably about 2014 that okay so there was a woman in Australia who did it and there was a whole 60 minutes program Australian 60 minutes which aired in New Zealand and so a few friends of mine were like, oh, have you seen this? Wow. And I was like, okay, so at that time, I don't know, it just didn't seem feasible. Like, I don't know, it seemed too experimental. It just sort of seemed kind of out of my reach anyway. Um, so I was going on happily, going along happily on Tysabri, and it was actually working really well. The issue in New Zealand with access to funding for that um, medication is that you are tested yearly, so annually reviewed, for um, whether you're still qualified for that medication and you become unqualified or no longer qualify if you are relapsing more than your baseline or if you're getting worse, which makes sense. That's not, you know, it makes sense. You don't want to be spending all this money. You don't want the country spending all this money if something's not working. Yeah. But in saying that, it's also really stressful. Yes. And so some of those tests um, to qualify for it involve and as Apple mentioned, my walking wasn't great. Yeah. Um, the ability to be able to walk 500 meters unaided and without stopping. So I would just find myself trying to practice every day my walking. And if I didn't practice, I'd kind of beat myself up about not practicing. It's just like kind of a constant stress. So although um, Tysabri was working well for me, I was like, well, it may not always be. And I could sort of tell that things were slowly getting worse. Um, because I think it is possible for the body to become immune to this mm-hmm. treatment that it's receiving and it might become yeah, ineffective after yeah. a while. So it is a relapsing remitting. And I think technically I was still relapsing remitting, but there was progressive elements as well. Yeah. Um, and I don't think Tysabri works for progression. No, anyway. I don't. Yeah. So, <laughs> anyway, so I was just aware that it wouldn't be forever and actually it was kind of time to be proactive about it. So it was literally um, 2017 in January, I wasn't thinking about it. Then February was almost overnight. I was like, let's investigate this. Wow. Um, yeah. And Where did you even start investigating? Because um, was there even remember. a lot of information out there at that point frankly it's all on facebook which sounds horrendous and really scary when you think about it now (laughs) um but that was actually a major source for me yeah yeah just finding people that had shared their experiences on facebook or 
Um, I think I remember around that time there was a blog, a blog circulating of a guy who had just had it done. Mm, yeah, okay. There were, yeah, patients' blogs, people who yeah. had had it done. Yes, that's definitely part of it. There's also just Facebook pages of people who want to get it done and are in the process of right. getting it done. And there's also people who have had it done and that's kind of a close group though. So when you're researching, it's not so much of a thing then. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's almost kind of a balloon now. It kind of just happened so quickly. Did you talk to your neurologist about it? I did. And my neurologist was actually quite supportive. It oh, was, that's amazing. It was helpful. So he was able, he ordered the pre-screening tests that I needed to get done before the Singapore wanted me to do. So he ordered those for me and, you know, he was he was good at facilitating it, I suppose. But he didn't know much about it. And for that, it was sort of me teaching him. And it really is a self-taught process, really, at that stage anyway. So, What made you decide on Singapore? Um, so from my Facebook research, yeah. <laughs> it seemed like the, the most common places for people to go were Russia, Mexico, Singapore, and Israel. Oh, Israel. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, okay. So of those... I mean, being in New Zealand, closest and most accessible really seemed to be Singapore. And it seemed to me, I spoke to somebody who from New Zealand who had had it done in Singapore. And when she said that, well, you know, it sort of seems to me that people from New Zealand and Australia do go to Singapore, just yeah. given the summer, southern hemisphere kind of Yeah, it's a lot accessible. closer. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I don't know. So that was Singapore. I guess it just seemed like the best option, I think, out of those, for me anyway. This is a bit of a nerdy travel question, but did you just get a tourist visa or something? Like, can you just yeah. go to a country and then yeah, get something done? Yeah, so um, I think what it was, uh, I think automatically being from New Zealand, it was a 30-day just, yep, sweet oh, tourist cool. visa. But we had to obviously apply for an extension, but the hospital did that basically oh, for me. So great. it was easy, no problem. That's so good. Obviously... The question I think a lot of people think about when it comes to doing this type of treatment is that it does cost a lot of money. Was that something, so I remember you were fundraising for it, yeah. which was amazing. And some of the generosity of your friends and family yeah. or strangers yeah. must have been so overwhelming. It was, it really was. But then I'm super interested in how you then pay. Like, do you have to just give all of this money to Singapore and then go over there? Or is it like a gradual payment <laughs> process? Um, no. So with Singapore, it's essentially two phases. Okay. And so they needed about $25,000 sort of upfront. So before I got there, in order to buy some sort of machine thing oh. that helps sort the stem cells. So right. they need to pre-order that and they need that money for that. So I had to transfer that over, essentially, so before I got there. Yeah. And so once I was over there, there's... So what's interesting here is Singapore, so I did it at Raffles Hospital, and so it's a private hospital in Singapore. And I think it's well set up for to take credit card payments and all that sort of stuff. So we just went to the business or the finance part and just used the credit card. Hello, AirPoints. Yeah. Um, no, it was amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, yeah, so it was fairly easy to do. Kind of installments and okay, I guess. You decide you're going to do it. When I decided that I wanted to do Singapore, I was aware that Singapore General Hospital does it and Raffles Hospital did right. it as well. And then so you picked Raffles Hospital. I picked Raffles. It's a bit smaller. And I also, love the name, Raffles yeah. Hospital. <laughs> I think it's a guy, one of the founders or something. Oh. Singapore. Anyway, I don't want to show um, ignorance. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, but also a couple of people, New Zealanders that I spoke to who had done it, both went to Raffles as well. Yeah. Um, so I think it's you kind of follow people's experience as well. Um yeah, so got in touch with the doctor. So Raffles Hospital website actually has a whole dedicated um, page to HSCT or AHCT. So the A part of it is autologous, I think. So it means it's your own stem cells as opposed to right. people who have it for cancer, it's donated stem cells. Yes. Yep. Anyway, so there's a whole um, thing page for that for MS. So it was like, oh, this seems Incredible really legit. resource. Amazing. It was so good. Yeah. Um, so I just got in touch and they just told me what they needed. And so, you know, previous, you know, medical documents and records and all that sort of stuff, just got that to them and needed an updated um, full neurologist assessment or something. So that was fine. I don't know. 
yeah. And they just talked about what they needed. And then it was like, oh, when do you want to come? I can see you in May. And I was like, whoa, I, May's too soon. Yeah, um, we're in February now. Yeah, exactly. It's only March, April, May. Yeah, exactly. So I said that was too soon, but we sort of, I started late June, phase one, and okay. then the heavy stuff late uh, July. And so was Singapore essentially able to do it at any time? Yeah. I think it was that private hospital thing. Yes, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so that actually that's a big thing because I know um, from groups I've been or I am a part of or have been a part of that there can be long waits. And that was something I was quite concerned about when I got in touch with Singapore. I said, like, oh, how quickly can you get it done? And that's probably where May came from. <laughs> but, um, yeah. You're like, tomorrow, come on. Basically. <laughs> Not quite, but. Yeah. Yeah. So I know, yeah, because I know that some places do have long-ish waiting lists. So you get all of the documents. Yeah. All of the pre-tests, mm-hmm. you have a person that's going to be your person, your doctor in yep. Singapore, yep. and then you have to find accommodation. Yeah. Was there certain criteria for choosing accommodation in Singapore? Um, so yeah, so I put my own um, criteria on it. So I wanted to be closest to the hospital. I wanted two bathrooms. In an apartment, just because kind of I was aware that when I came out of the hospital after second like phase two, mm-hmm. be immunocompromised, and I just thought that if I had my own bathroom, then like my partner or my mum, whoever was there at that time, um, could kind of have their own space, and then I could have my own, I don't know, pristine one or whatever, I don't know. But yeah. anyway, that was a criteria that I wanted to have, but I think that was probably about it in terms of criteria. Yeah. Unless you've read something in the blog that I've mentioned. No, I have just reread all of the blog, actually. <laughs> what is it? msodyssey.blogspot.com? Something like that, yeah. It's actually a really incredible resource, your blog. You shared so much about mm. the process, which I know a lot of people are curious mm. what goes into it. So you arrive at the hospital, you're going to start phase one. Mm-hmm. What is phase one? Phase one is, so I have one day of conditioning chemotherapy um i think that is just to suppress the immune system a bit so because we're off medication so i was off tisabri since march yes um to get that cleaned out so i think it's just um not so we don't just get a massive relapse or something so anyway it's a day of conditioning chemotherapy and then a week or so of injections to get the stem cells to come out of the bone marrow into the bloodstream and were these the injections that were 8 a.m and 8 p.m yeah yeah. Twice a day. And yep. you d- did them yourself? Oh, no, Peter did. My okay. husband did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. Because I was reading in your blog that when you were injecting yourself for your other MS mm. treatments, you had a fancy contraption. Yes. That helped with this. Whereas in Singapore, it was just like, what? Just literally put it in. <gasps> yeah. And yeah, so I think when I started on Avenix back in the day, I didn't have a contraption. And that was a bit of a fraught experience for yeah. a few months but then I've always had an auto injector so I don't really see the need I want to find press a button yeah whereas yeah so these ones it was literally just needles and I'm just not a fan so no right. I got my husband to do it he's stepped up to the plate it was good was this you could just inject into like a muscle stomach area I guess yeah so no it's um subcutaneous so it's just into the fat so okay they, I think they recommended only doing the stomach, but I was like, no, no, no. Look, I've had subcutaneous injections. I'm just going to do it wherever I know there's fat. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so I was doing it in legs, hips, stomach, and I don't think we did the arms, but just kind of rotating it around because yeah. twice a day. Yeah, that's think, a lot. A lot of bruises and things. So, yeah. And then that scrummy injection <laughs> potion yeah. is helping extract the stem cells mm-hmm. and am I correct in thinking that the stem cells are in the bone marrow yeah so yeah. Okay. from the bone marrow into the bloodstream which because I think back in the day when you had a bone marrow transplant was essentially what this is which right. is essentially what it is I think in the day they would literally go into the bone like Whoa. I know I think god again I not a doctor shivers. yeah <laughs> again not a doctor but um yeah yeah, I think it's new fandangled medicine. Yeah. Um, anyway, so yeah, so it brings the stem cells out and that led to the wonderful experience of um, six hours on a oh, what's the machine called? Apheresis, I think. Anyway, so literally hooked up to a machine. Uh, previously it had this... Um, oh, the neck tap. The neck tap. Tell us about the neck tap. Tell us more. All right. So, yep. So we're doing twice a day injections for about a week. And then um, I was 
admitted to the hospital just for a procedure, which was literally just this big tap. <laughs> the yeah. word. So just a just a plastic thing into my neck just to oh god it's hard to explain um into the the big vein in the neck and so there's kind of two little taps coming out so one's for taking blood out one's for putting it back in so um, it's kind of like a really extreme cannula i guess isn't it like full-on i've seen the picture of when you it was removed (laughs) it's big and that was probably actually one of the hardest parts of this whole experience was to actually have that thing in my neck yeah it like I wasn't sleeping and the um the injections sorry the injections were kind of causing my bones to be a bit achy and it was just like fucking horrendous it was awful um so frankly that was for me the worst part in saying that I've spoken to other people who've had it since and so oh no it's fine but it was all good so I was like okay so that was just me um but um, I think I would be on your team with that as well it just felt like I couldn't sleep on the right and I don't know it was just it was uncomfortable but um Anyway, that was fine. So that was in, and then, uh, so that was put in on a Thursday, I think, but then it wasn't until the Monday that we actually did the stem cell extraction. So that, yeah, so that was the six hours kind of just lying down, having hooked up to this machine, extracting the blood and filtering it through this $25,000 machine or whatever yes. to get the right type of stem cells, I think, because there was a particular type of stem cell that, that they wanted to use. I should have done some more research on what I've actually done. But um, anyway. Um, this machine, yeah. is this, this machine. the spaceship ma- machine? No. Oh, okay. No. So, oh, hang on. We're getting to that part. We're getting to the spaceship. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So anyway, this so is being, the blood is being filtered through and you're getting stem cells. Now, don't you need like 6 million or something of these stem cells? Yeah. Of, yeah, the right type of stem yeah. cell. Yeah. Was it 5 million? I don't know. Quite a few. It's a lot anyway. Yeah. And then... So they can only they only generally use fifty percent of the extracted stem cells, mm. and then to put it back in. If that's what I wrote on my blog, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I'm quoting you. Oh, good. <laughs> it's been three years. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so, so then that's phase one, phase yeah. two. So phase one was fine, and then we had a two week gap. It was basically a rest period we just hung around in Singapore I was still studying so I just did some oh my god you were still studying yeah what yeah, were yeah. you studying um I was studying basically to be a counsellor yeah. so it was post-grad post-grad counsellor study yeah oh my god and you're like writing essays while you're going through all of this it was actually a good distraction though I think yeah. in a way especially for those two weeks it was I don't know something to do and yeah something to keep mm. your mind off yeah, and being so. away from home and this procedure that's happening yeah so it wasn't too bad. So a couple of weeks rest and then admission back to the hospital and for the like more intense chemotherapy. So um, what did they do? They Another sort of um, procedure to put in the PICC line. So that's the um, essentially another tap, but into the more the chest. Of, I don't know. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So <laughs> everyone listening knows what you're talking about. It's, yeah. It's yeah, in the chest and it's so that it can... They can you administer can the, the drugs administer easier. Drugs, yeah, and like take out blood easier and all that stuff. Yep. So you're not becoming a pincushion. Yes. Um, and yeah. I think you are like me with that. Veins don't always come to the party. Not always, no. And play <laughs> with us. <laughs> yeah. So that makes life just a little bit easier for everybody involved. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so yes, I had to get that put in and then we started chemo. So, yeah. So in Singapore, uh, what was it? I think it was three days in a row of um, cyclophosphamide and fludarabine. Yes. So two chemotherapy drugs. I find it really interesting that before in, before you arrived in Singapore, mm-hmm. somebody actually passed away from a chemo, like this chemotherapy yeah. amount and then they actually changed the rules. Yes. So from four days of chemo yeah. to three days of chemo. Yeah. How are you feeling about that? So, yeah, so that was quite a, and so I think I was only the maybe second or third person to do this new regime. Wow. So there was a little bit of, uh, I kind of wish I knew that before I'd signed up for it, a little bit. Um, but I suppose the doctor was pretty, pretty good at dissuading that, um, that little worry I had just to say that, you know, this particular protocol has been effective with other sort of um, kind of autoimmune eradication procedures like yeah. I think um can't remember but anyway other ones but anyway at the time it was 
yeah, I think that helped a bit. But I think there was a little bit of nurse as yeah. well. Um, well, you're so brave just listening to you. And we're only up to phase two and I'm already like, <laughs> whoa, you are amazing. Mm. And so you have three full-on days of chemotherapy. Yeah. Two oh. different types of chemo. Yeah. And then what happens? Um, so then I had a rest day, which was good. And all while this is happening, you're in an isolation room. Yeah. Where no air from the outside can come in. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty pretty flash, really. Like, it's just a double kind of zero pressure door into the hotel room. Uh, hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine. Oh, wow. <laughs> Felt like that, no. Yeah. Um, into the hospital room. Yeah. Um, so it was good, I suppose. It wasn't in isolation in the same sense of actually what people are experiencing right now with yes. COVID. Um, my husband could be with the with me he could stay the night and all that sort of stuff so that was that was really good it was far yeah. less isolating than I thought it would be um yeah but actually the first couple of days of chemo it wasn't too bad like I actually was like oh, this is not that hard it was yeah. sort of that rest day was the worst day even though it wasn't being administered it was sort of the the um the effects of those three days um yeah but then on the fourth day no fourth day so it was fourth rest day and then the yeah. day after that was the stem cell um Receival day, or so the stem cells they extracted from phase one had been on ice. I love that they're just on ice. <laughs> they're on ice. They're just chilling on ice over there in the corner of the room in a spaceship. Exactly. So when they brought it in, this looks like a spaceship. It looks like I don't know. Is it R two D two? Like yeah, it Star does. Wars. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> it was very exciting. Yeah, so it was a pretty quick process just to get the stem cells back. So the point of the stem cells, and I think this is really important to be clear about, the stem cells just help to recover quicker. So actually what does the work in this process is the chemotherapy. The chemotherapy that just basically annihilates the immune system. And that's why you have to be in isolation because actually the body is like worse than a newborn because these newborns have their mum's immune system. It's basically no immune system. The stem cells means that mean that the the white blood cell can't really do it does escalate quickly. Yeah. Um. Because I think a lot of people when it's been called the stem cell transplants, yes, like the yeah. stem cells are what do the work. Yeah. No, it's so in some of the um, veterans groups, there's kind of a catch phrase: no chemo, no cure. Which, which I know can be controversial because there are therapies out there just a stem cell therapy you just get the stem cell out of it wow um which i think does help people just to feel better. better yeah i think when we're talking about anything close to something that therapeutically helps reduce or eliminate relapses or progression you kind of just need to reset yeah. the immune system because that's what's going on here um yeah 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 wow so then the stem cells get put back in mm. your body, your white, what is it? The white blood count. Yeah. That is essentially, it's like a number, isn't mm-hmm. it? And the higher your white blood count, the more immunity you, the immune system is working. Yeah. Okay, so I think normal healthy adults, I think. I Googled. You Googled? Between 4 and 11. Four and 11, yeah. Yeah, so I got to, so before the stem cells, started working again um i think my white blood cell count was 0.1 i think is that right so did yes you? There, there was there's a moment there was there's a, a moment in yeah. the blog yeah where we could probably google no, go back not. and search <laughs> but not. it was definitely yeah um 0. 0.1 0. 0.1 and i feel like you got down to 0. 0.5 didn't you yeah 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 i did yeah and that's low yeah, very low. And so that's that's good. It's like, okay, good. It's yeah. working. <laughs> and so you essentially have no immune system. Yeah. And then the stem cells come back into the body. Yeah. The white blood count rises again. And it yeah. was actually quite a fast rise for you. Yeah, it was. So the the tide starts turning and it's a it seems it starts slowly, but then it's like it was maybe a one one day. And then the next day it was like six. And yeah. I was like, shit, this yeah. is amazing. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. So go stem cells. Yeah. I say good work body. Um, yeah. So it was, it went quickly. And yeah. actually what they do worry about is um, engraftment disease, not disease or syndrome or something like that. And so they worry about that. So they put you on steroids a little bit just so you yes. don't. Yeah. And you mentioned that you were taking antiviral. Antivirals. Yeah. 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 
just and to help with this process? Um, well, it's anything in the body, any virus you've picked up with throughout your lifetime, chickenpox, cold right. sores, anything like that, which doesn't get killed by chemo, yeah. but it's still alive in the body, right? So okay. with when you have no immune system, the immune system when usually would be suppressing it naturally, but when you don't have one of those, then yes. you kind of need a bit of help. So yes. antiviral, so um, yeah, are really pretty important actually, and I still take them. Okay, yeah. As well, because I have no time for shingles. No. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't think anybody right no. now needs shingles in their life. <laughs> yeah. Wow, and this all went faster than you thought it mm. did. Yeah. So I was um, prepared for, I think, a three-week stay in hospital for phase two, and I was out in two weeks, so that was a nice surprise. Yeah, and that's amazing. Yeah. Were you then able just to go back to the apartment in Singapore, mm. rest for a bit? Did you have to go back into hospital? Yeah, so I was going back to the hospital weekly just for checkups and blood tests and talking to the doctor and stuff. But actually, yeah, just back to the to the apartment and um, just taking it easy, absolutely. So by that stage, my husband had to go back to New Zealand, but my mum had come over to take over. I love mums. Oh, so mums. Mums <laughs> are so good. <laughs> so good. And, and that was really good, actually. See, she enjoys my mum, loves cooking, which is wonderful. Oh, yes. So she, um, <laughs> she just was a really good support and yeah. looking after me through the rest of that time yeah. and when do you get the all clear that you can mm. leave so I didn't anticipate to get back to New Zealand until like later on in September but I was I returned home on the 1st of September so three weeks early again so I don't I don't know it was just trajectory of the white blood cells and no complications or anything like that yeah and so. they're doing all these regular blood tests yeah. and I guess if something was going wrong that would be showing up yeah. in the bloods yeah and it's about being safe as well and, you know, watching the diet so you're not, you know, having raw things, um, raw f- meat or fish or, yeah, yeah, washing things properly. and No leftovers. No, no, no um, sushi, sadly. Yeah. <laughs> no, oh, no soft cheese. It's very much like a pregnancy diet, actually. You write in your blog, which I think is so beautiful, you're like, and no poached eggs, the millennial in me is... <laughs> dying or crying about this <laughs> let's just be clear it was three years ago and I was far more dramatic. yeah <laughs> yeah amazing so when you get back to New Zealand what was your life then like did you have to change the way that you were doing things were you more afraid of viruses or mm. yeah I, I was a bit um so it was still being monitored with blood tests and things like that um which was good and could you was your just your GP yeah. monitoring Just that. my GP, yeah. So I, I got in touch with her when I was in Singapore because I, I realised I hadn't organised a haematologist. Yes. Um, but she was pretty, pretty confident that, you know, we would just do the test and just keep an eye on things. And if we needed to get in touch with a haematologist, then we would. And I think that's an interesting point that um, I know I wasn't really aware of. Mm. But actually this whole process um, – is more in a haematologist yeah. realm rather than a neurologist's yeah. world. Absolutely. It's it's an odd, odd thing because it's so dependent on hematology, of course, which yeah. makes sense. But we're talking about a neurological condition. Yeah, and it's no wonder that when, you know, patients are going to the neurologist and they have MS and they're talking, mm. well, could I get this procedure? That the neurologist doesn't really know yeah. too much about it because it's not actually in their world. No. There's some very rare neurologists who do take a particular interest in this, but yeah, exactly. Not not yeah. the warehouse. It's not. Yeah, you only yeah. know what you know, don't you? And they exactly. know a lot about the brain and what's going on yeah. there. Mm. But yeah, so I mean, that's that's one thing that I think some some people I have heard um, really do come come up against their neurologist yeah. when they are looking to do this procedure. And this procedure is. It is done. It, it's done mm. for cancer. When I was searching, it's mainly done for leukemia and lymphoma, but also it's sometimes used for multiple myeloma and neuroblastoma, mm. which when I was researching, that broke my heart because that type of cancer is most often found in children yeah. under the age of five. Yeah, And it is a thing that it's, it's known, it's out there, but the research around it working for ms mm. that's where they don't really know in your experience is that a time thing there just hasn't been enough research over time i think so um i think there are some studies being done in the states 
which is good. But yes. again, <laughs> it's a time thing. So a lot of people, no, not a lot of people. It needs to be done properly, obviously. And you need these strict um, parameters around your controllers and all of that sort of stuff. And it needs to be done properly. And yes, you're right, over time. Because some people, unfortunately, do relapse again after yes. getting this treatment done. And I think depending on how you want to assess um, the usefulness of it, I mean, some neurologists or medical staff would say, oh, no, everyone relapses again. What are you talking about? There's no way. And, and it's just sort of about being wanting to try it, I yeah. think. I don't know. Did yeah. you have any expectations before you went in? I did. Um, I think I thought that because I was still technically relapsing, remitting, under 35, like within 10 years of diagnosis, that, yeah, I'll get a hair and I'll just be running out of the hospital. I just thought that yep. everything, um, all damage that I was experiencing would somehow be miraculously cured, which isn't the case. Um which, yeah, it was just unfortunate. I think a lot of people do have that expectation of improvement. Yeah. And what I did pick up a bit from the hospital from Singapore was they do prefer people in the so super early stages of the disease because wow. they do see, do see basically the cure and improvement. And so I think that's, you know, I think one of the doctors sort of said to me, oh, you know, so we are finding that people who are more moving to the progressive stage of the disease they'll probably just you know stay and I was like are you kidding that I mean even then when I was hoping that I'd you know be running out of the hospital even then to actually just be halted actually not have to worry about progressing further not having to worry about any further deterioration you have to actually understand what it's like to be faced with that as a fact in your life to actually say well if you could tell me that that wouldn't happen to me that's huge. Yeah. That's actually huge. And, yeah. and and it kind of baffles me that sometimes some people just can't really see that as a benefit. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. So, yes, I was expecting that I would get better. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but um, as it is, it's still pretty good. Wow. After you got back from New Zealand, did you start physio, was it? You were actively working Mm. on your strength mobility yeah um in singapore still actually that i did start some physio oh okay yeah um when i was so raffles hospital does is pretty much full service so i was yeah seeing a physio there um but i carried on with that when i got back to new zealand and then uh i think the next year though 2018 i started seeing a clinical exercise physiologist who would come and visit me at home and we sort of do sort of personal training sort of stuff which was really 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 helpful as well Mm -hmm. um oh absolutely keeping up um exercise and things like that is yeah crucial always so the question everybody is wondering did you notice any improvements yeah a little bit yeah so i think definitely bladder's better um, nice. <laughs> yeah, I know we've been talking bonus. for 43 minutes and not one of us has had to go to the toilet. Oh, <laughs> true. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, I think that's the, probably the, main, the most noticeable in terms of improvement. Yeah. But generally, it hasn't gone worse. So that's actually. Yeah. Yeah. So it's. It's three years on now. Mm-hmm. And have you had a relapse? No. Wow. Yeah. Which is amazing. Yeah. Because, I mean, I don't I don't know how much you and I have spoken about literally what it was like pre-anything effective being... Oh, actually, sort of capaxone, yeah, right? So yeah. every six weeks, if I'm left without medication that is effective, that, that's essentially my trajectory. Wow. Whereas to almost the day be three years post and actually to be just as good... Yeah. I'm going to say good that I was in 2017, then yeah. it's huge. Yeah. Oh, that is huge. So we just had a little bit of a technical difficulty there, ran out of batteries. <laughs> but I am conscious of the time. I don't want to keep you for too long. Um, everything that you have just said is so amazing and so insightful. Into, well, it's such an insight into the, the procedure mm. of HSCT, especially, you know, being a New Zealander, getting it done in Singapore. But I also posed the question to some followers on Instagram. Mm-hmm. 
um, whether they had any questions. If they could ask someone who has had this procedure done, if they could ask them anything in the world, what would they ask? So this is sort of like quick fire questions. Mm -hmm. The first question, a dear friend of mine has asked, will it make me dance like liquid silk? I'm currently a very clunky mover. But I think that leads on to another question that we got was, what improvements were there to your MS symptoms? And I find that question really fascinating because they are expecting there mm. to be improvements. Yeah, what's well, a good way to think. Yeah. So we sort of covered this a little bit. I haven't yeah. noticed massive improvements. Um, I, I really haven't, if I'm being frank about it with myself. And I remember what my mobility was like before and how it is now. I think I would say it was about the same. Mm-hmm. The main thing being bladder, which is helpful. Yeah. But. Very helpful. Yeah, I don't know, just still steadily steady and stable. Yes. Has there been any change on your lesion activity on an MRI? I had essentially what we called a baseline MRI basically the month after I got back from Singapore. I haven't had one since. Okay. And that's a conscious choice because I know a few things about MRIs are depending on what machine, like different machines, different calibrations, that's the word I want. So different calibrations, um, you can literally not have changed, but one machine might pick something up and another machine won't. I didn't want to put myself in the position because actually if it's not worked, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. So I didn't want to start stressing myself out by having this baseline one and then having another one possibly on a different machine, possibly, I don't know, just different, just different. Yeah, a variety of different Absolutely. factors. Absolutely, and yeah. it to find different things and then I'll just kind of freak out about it and just be like, shit, it hasn't worked. Yeah. So I've decided not to. I'm just kind of assessing myself, I guess, clinically, I suppose. If I'm noticing a change, then maybe we'll do, them, do one if that's helpful. But actually, I'm just um, just trying to go by how I'm feeling. If I'm feeling good and, you know, no change, then I'm like, fine. Let's just grin with that. Exactly. That's just how I'm going. So next question, where did you go to get it done? Singapore. And how much did it cost? Um, In the end, so it can vary um, because I didn't, I had a temperature one day and so they gave me antibiotics, but otherwise I had no complications. I was under budget in a way, so it would have been... Maybe hundred and twenty thousand dollars all up. I was budgeting wow. for two hundred thousand, but yeah, so one hundred and twenty all up about that. I think, yeah. And what type of fundraising did you do? So I had a give a little like crowdfunding page, um, which was huge. People are amazing. Friends and family sort of donated. We did a um, an auction at my old workplace, did movie nights, and yeah, it was oh pe- pe- humanity. <laughs> It's amazing. Yeah. Just beautiful. That's the sort of things we did. So heartwarming. Mm. And what was the total length of time? So if I was over there, end of June and home by start of September, a yeah. couple of months. June, July, August. Yeah, three three months? Around three well, months? Well, end of June, so Oh yeah. two and a bit. Two and a bit months. Mm. All right, next question. Somebody reached out on Instagram and they said that they had just read I think her name is Sandy Salvi. She's a comedian, an American comedian mm-hmm. who has MS and she actually did the HSCT treatment around 20 years ago in oh. San Diego. And in her book, she mentions that, I haven't read her book. This is just based on what um, this question came in. Um, in her book, she mentions that her body expelled certain objects like a piece of pencil that was stuck in her arm from childhood and her breast implants. And on Instagram, they're wondering whether that was something that was mentioned, whether that was a possibility, a side effect that your body expels things. And if people have tattoos or piercings or previous surgeries, Mm. if that's something they should be worried about. That wasn't mentioned to me and it's not something I experienced. What are some things that people may not hear when it comes to HSCT? Not hear putting you on the spot a little yeah, bit, a little bit. Um, I didn't give Rachel any warning for these <laughs> questions so. one. I think I think no matter what humans really like hope and I think a lot of people might not hear that you're not guaranteed to get better it's it's 
kind of managing that and really assessing it. And it's what I was talking about earlier. Actually having no more progression is huge. And for me, I'm really seeing that as just an enormous positive. Um, Yeah. I think that's a big one. Yeah, it it really is. Especially back in 2017, that's not something that I heard. What was floating around was that this could potentially be the cure. People that were in wheelchairs are walking again. And that is, yeah, what was the most common yeah. you know, piece of discussion that was around this treatment. Yeah, absolutely. And it just depends on what you have. So like I say, my main source of MS damage is in my walking, so the balance and like foot drop and stuff. Um, but, for example, some people actually just find really, really debilitating fatigue. So for them, I think that's kind of most likely to actually see a massive improvement but not always. Yeah, everyone's everyone's, everyone's personal experience is different. And it's very subjective. Everyone's MS is so different yeah, as well. Exactly. From a follower who has done the HSCT mm-hmm. for their MS, they ask, "Do you regret it?" No, <laughs> do not regret it. The only regret I have is not doing it earlier. Wow. And then there was one more question that follows on from that is looking back, would you do it again, knowing everything that you know now? Yes, 100%. Amazing. (laughs) So we were just sitting here finishing off our coffees and we had an afterthought that something uh, we should have mentioned in the podcast and we would like to add in now is travel insurance. Big deal. Huge. Big, big deal, yeah. So it was a bit of research from us because very aware that some people just sort of rely on, you know, um, credit card, travel insurance or whatever, but it's massively excluding anything for medical tourism or or travel for medical purposes or medical procedures. So the only place we found and what we ended up getting travel insurance with was American Express, so Amex. Um, Let me just have a look. Yeah, so American Express travel insurance which is through Allianz or something but yeah so that's that was the only one that would cover us and yeah so you know if we lost our bags or something that yeah. it can't be voided because we we're over there so I was getting HSCT so yeah that's really important too I just wanted to share that because it was a bit of a stress at the time thank you for listening to another episode of that's so chronic like I said at the beginning we are sharing personal stories and are not advocating for any specific type of treatment If HSCT for MS is something you are considering, I encourage you to chat to your medical team before making any decisions. While I will always try to publish correct information, I am still learning and understand that the world of medicine is constantly changing. If you want to reach out, you can find me at That's So Chronic on Instagram. And as always, if you enjoyed this episode, please press subscribe on Apple Podcasts, follow on Spotify and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. That helps me get into more ears around the world to hopefully spread awareness and more importantly, hope.